welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, if you're joining us at The Well, we're uh, glad you're here. Uh, Just a heads up as we start into today's uh, interview and the conclusion to the Unbelievable series, we're talking about a pretty uh, weighty and a heavy matter, and that's about um, kind of leadership failures, both both in and outside of the church and faith context. And we just want to just prepare some of you for whom that might be a really difficult conversation because... Um, you have been a victim maybe of an abuse of power or abuse in general or uh, things that where people with power, faith leaders, you know, uh, failed and you were personally affected by that. Even some of us, many of us can say, yeah, our own faith uh, just in general gets rocked by that. And so we just want to be aware of that and that for some of you, this may be uh, a triggering conversation or something that brings up and you may have to watch it in small pieces or you may just want to have somebody that you're watching it with that you can process with or even if you want to reach out to one of us after that, but just wanted to give you the heads up for that and know that we're aware of that. We're praying for you in this um, and just wanted to give you a heads up as you prepare um, just to listen in on this conversation. Welcome to our last episode in Mm -hmm. the four-week mini-series called Unbelievable. And we've been uh, taking a journey we're calling an unexpected, unlikely journey of faith through the story that I'm interviewing my dad, Sunder, um, and his life and his story. And uh, as we come to a close here, I think uh, I want to focus in on something that um, uh, is a pretty weighty topic, and, um, but one that I just feel like, and I felt like even as we were planning, it was just so important to talk about, and I wanted mm. to talk about it with you. Um, it's sad in the sense that it's, it's unbelievable because it's just come to be expected. Um, and that is just that uh, you, you actually told me this story. Here's the best way to describe what we're going to talk about. That a little while ago, you were speaking at a, at a conference. And the person who had brought you in was someone who had worked part-time with you at mm. the church where you retired from a few years ago. And when he went to introduce you as a group of uh, songwriters, artists, the way he introduced of all the things he could have introduced you for, he'd worked with you a number of years, you've been a pastor for many years, you've written books, you've spoken to different places or whatever, uh, anything of the things we mentioned even in the last few weeks about your story. Exactly. And what he said was, here's someone who finished 37 years of ministry without a scandal. Yeah. And it's a, you laugh a little and then you mostly cry. Right. With a statement like yeah. that. That sadly it's come to be expected that um, leaders uh, will fail and will fall. And not just, of course, we're all flawed, but that there will be some kind of scandal. And this is true in a sense we're seeing this of both people of faith who are leaders in faith context, but people outside faith context in whatever form, whether it's mm-hmm. you know, um, any kind of industry or government or whatever, this, this seems to be a thing. And I know that it's, it's hard to talk about, but I, here's why I wanted to, to talk about it today. One is that, um, well, I should say this. I do so with a bit of fear and trembling, and uh, I'm not being dramatic. I think partly because you and I are both, or we're both faith leaders. Mm. Um, Neither of us are dead yet. Neither of us are finished. exactly. We're not finished yet. And so there's a way that we could talk about it that would directly or indirectly give the impression of we are masters over this subject uh, and we're talking about those bad people who fail in leadership. Right. So let's just off the top saying that's not at all mm. why. There's enough in it to scare me to keep my mouth shut to say 
you know, I, I'm so scared of this even happening in my life or whatever that would want me to stay away from it. But, but I think we need to talk about it because it isn't just a matter of bad people who do bad things and we can vilify them or villainize them or distance ourselves enough from them to say, well, I would never do that. Um, but we can't and we need to talk about it because it's affecting all of us. Um, it's affecting all of us either who are in positions of any kind of leadership or let's say influence, which all of us have. Right. We are all exactly. connected to other people in whose lives we have influence, mm. whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Exactly. And our decisions do impact them. And I think for me as someone who still, let's say I'm younger than you, even <laughs> if I'm not a young leader anymore, I want wisdom from those who have gone ahead of us mm -hmm. to say, these are the things that, you know, wisdom warns and encourages and instructs. And so um, I want to just have this conversation today, just recognizing mm -hmm. our limitations and even having it. Mm -hmm. We only know our own stories and our right. own experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. Limitations in terms of we do not want to uh, judge others in the sense of things we don't know or see, but at least still to say, okay, um, we need to talk about this mm -hmm. in the church as leaders, as people, as family members, as a younger person to someone who's less young, <laughs> down the road. Mm. Um, so even just off the top, dad, like cards on the table, how do you feel about even talking? Like some of this just makes me so, uh, you know, the weight of it. Yeah. But also, how do you feel even coming into a conversation? Oh like my that? goodness. You know, this morning, it's interesting as I was praying and preparing my heart, all of a sudden a chill kind of descended over me when I was preparing this one. It was almost like God was speaking, saying, you haven't finished yet so be careful yeah so what you are saying mm -hmm. was fresh this morning upon yeah. my heart so i really do do it with fear and trembling yeah that doesn't mean we can't talk about it because yeah. we want to give credit to god yeah we don't want to undermine what he hasn't done yeah but it says be careful be careful and uh, one of the phrases i love is the illusion of invincibility you know yeah and, so yeah. that phrase uh, i have a spiritual director mm. who's a few years older than me who you have kind of been a mentor to um we met kind of at different times i joke with him that he he basically agreed to mentor me because he likes you um <laughs> He said he was very disappointed one day when you went to a burger joint and he ordered, you ordered a veggie burger. He said that really, <laughs> but I still stayed learning from it. Yeah. But he said, he said he remembers studying at what is now Tyndale Seminary, but it was Ontario Bible College and right. Ontario Theological Seminary uh, a few decades ago. And it was around the time when some stories of Christian leaders who were failing, who were, um, you know, were caught sort of in affairs and money laundering and all that kind of stuff came out. And he, you were coming in, in a sense, to speak to a class of the stuff. And your opening line, he said, just floored us. He said, you said something like, beware of the illusion of invincibility. Right. Basically saying, we are all susceptible right. to um, things we would never dream we yeah, would exactly, do. Yeah. And my, my line uh, is that... Nobody draws a straight line from where they are to a ditch right. and says, that's where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, catastrophe, scandal, mm. affair. No one plans. Yeah. Um, and so there is this thing, I think, even when we think about it, first and foremost, there is wisdom, not only in caring for those who have been hurt or marginalized or abused or taken advantage in this, but then secondly, quickly to begin to look inward right. and say, okay, yeah, there is this illusion of invincibility.
How would you kind of unpack that a little yeah. bit more even well, as you think about yourself? I think, first of all, just have something to drive home that reality. Yeah. Stories do that so much better than concepts, right? Yeah. And I remember a story that Gordon MacDonald told in one of his books about uh, at the tight of the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, where they all had their anti-ballistic missiles and their defense systems against attacks and whatnot. A 19-year-old Scandinavian pilot, I think flying a one-engine plane, landed it right in the main square in the Kremlin at Red Square. How did he do that? You know, it was invincible. He flew under the radar. Mm. They were so prepared for the big things, yeah. they were not prepared at all for the under-the-radar stuff. Yeah. Wow. When I read that, I thought, oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Mm. So I think... We need to just really, really not just give lip service to it, yeah. but to actually believe Jesus when he said, let him that thinks he stands yeah. take heed lest he fall. Yeah. And there is a, it doesn't mean that I look frighteningly over my shoulder and cower in paralyzing fear. Mm -hmm. There's just a healthy respect. Yeah. Like I'm not a good swimmer. Yeah. So when I'm on the edge of a large body of water, yeah. I'm very careful. Yeah. That kind of caution, yeah. I think is important. Yeah, it reminds me of um, someone commenting on how Jesus taught, you know. Um, he, on the one hand, um, you know, sobered up everyone who was listening by taking their attention off of the external behaviors to the heart. Right, exactly. Right, in one of the, maybe the most famous sermon Jesus had, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, okay, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, mm. don't commit murder. But have you ever lusted at someone in your heart? Mm. Have you ever uh, been angry and hateful at someone in your heart? These are just as deadly. It was Jesus turning the attention, not that the behaviors don't matter, but there's something deeper always going on inside of us beyond the behaviors. And I think that's what's been sobering, but also really important for me. In this inward look, this reflection, and you talked about this even last week around um, beginning to look inside yourself and right. see what's going mm -hmm. on. That there, we may look at certain disasters and things and say, well, that would never happen to me or that could, but we don't realize there are antecedent conditions mm -hmm. and really of the heart that if we're not aware of, we actually have no way of knowing whether we will end up in a place we never thought we would. One of the conversations or the things that I say when I do premarital counseling with couples, say, I say to them, don't say, I'll never cheat on my spouse. Right. Yeah. Because what that is, is a statement of confidence in yourself and in your resolve, and which is good to say, I don't, you know, but that all that says is, I'm confident enough in myself that my own resolution is enough to secure me and in my mind that I'll never do that. And it's also rooted in pride because it says, you... I can believe that you would do that, but, but not I me. would never do that. There's, right. So there's a huge pride factor involved in that as well when you totally. say things like that. And that's not enough of a safeguard. What yeah. I've said is, no, the statement isn't, I would never do that. Yeah. The statement is, I would never want that to happen right. to me or my loved ones. Therefore, if I don't want that to happen, I think I probably need to do something to ensure it won't right. because I know my own confidence is not enough of an assurance that this will never happen. Mm -hmm. So... When you think about your own life and uh, looking back on several decades, and, and, and again, as you said, you're not done yet, but things that you have continued to do, what are the things for you that have, you said, okay, if I never want to end up in any kind of, like, even if it's what we would say is things that aren't uh, adultery or embezzling money, 
but subtle abuses of power or mm. using or manipulating others, like all of that stuff. If I never want that to, never, not even, even be accused of that, but never had that to be true mm-hmm. in the relationships that I, what are some things you have put in your life mm. that have helped you safeguard uh, a place you'd never want to be? Right. And, and before I get to the specifics, there's probably two principles that have worked very well. You know, we do, in, 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 in sports games, we play both defense and offense. Mm-hmm. In hockey these days, there are great defensemen, but there are people who got to score goals as well. Yeah. And you need both, but ultimately offense is what wins the game, although defense prevents you being scored on. And I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, there's some defense in-depth issues, and then there's offensive issues. Mm-hmm. And I mean offense in the good sense mm-hmm. of the word. And defense is, I think, looking at those things that can tend to weaken your resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most famous uh, space accidents was the 1973 Space uh, Shuttle Challenger exploding. And the main reason why that they exploded was that the night before in Cape Canaveral, the temperature dropped all of a sudden in Florida below the design limits of the O-rings that sealed the exhaust gases from the rockets from the liquid fuel tanks in there. They were now suddenly being asked to function in an environment that they were never intended to and they failed. Every one of us has those environments in which our O-rings can fail, as Mm -hmm. it were. So to become aware of what our vulnerabilities are, you know, what are the environments in which O-rings can fail Mm -hmm. and take proactive measures to avoid them. So I think for each one of us to understand, so that was a very important principle. Defense alone isn't enough. Those things are important because otherwise life will become a real drudgery where I'm always defending myself against attack. The other side is a principle of what somebody called the power of an expulsive affection. One man put it this way. He said, you can never conquer desire by denial. Most people who fall in any one of these various ways, whether it's financial or sexual or whatever, it's because they gave into some desire. They really wanted more money. They really wanted more recognition. They wanted more pleasure, whatever it was. They wanted something. And the typical way of conquering this, you must say no, you must say no, you must mm. say no. Well, it doesn't work. Mm. Ultimately, you have to say yes to something. And if you actually look at it in everyday life, that's how we function. How many of you have had children who, it's time for dinner, come on in, come to bed, and they're busy playing hockey. I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry but you force them to come in and they can polish off two whole platefuls of food. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they denied themselves the food. They were playing hockey and they wanted hockey's pleasure much more than something else. So those two principles, I think, were first. Now, then yeah, you, And just, yeah. just to mm. finish that, this idea that you, you displace a smaller affection with a greater one. Exactly. Yeah. It actually pushes out. So it's not about denial, but a greater desire. Totally. So let's talk about that. Yeah, And so to me, uh, for, uh, in terms of... Uh, the way we have been wired to live, we talked about the other three sessions we've talked about, is our life with God and relationships. The vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with people are the pieces of the puzzle that kept me moving. And so, for example, I would say when I talk first about... Yeah, let's, do, let's, let's spend some time on both those parts. Okay. So let's start with the vertical... Um, the vertical relationship yeah. is so, first of all, as I said at the very beginning, we are transformed by the relationship in our life. Religion is so much about saying no. Don't do this, don't touch that, don't go here, do this, do that, five times a week. Religion doesn't do anything for us, Mm. but the relationship does. So I have to foster that relationship. And I would say probably one of the most fundamental transformative practices anyone can put into practice is regularly reading God's word. Mm. Not again in a mechanical sense of the thou shalt and the thou shalt not, but the Bible is a story. 
It's a story of God creating his people and God in relationship with his people transforming them in them. And we read a story and we find connections between that story and our story. Even Jesus, you know, whom we as Christian believers, God incarnate, lived his life by connecting himself with that story so that so many times in his life he would say, so that scripture might be fulfilled, so that scripture might be fulfilled. He didn't mean he was looking for scripture to then deliberately live by that. He had a sense of a divine script that scripted his life. And I would say, and this is my 38th year of reading through the whole Bible, I've, no, I've never read anything else more than twice or three times at most. It's a story that I continually kept connected to. And so I'm living out a divine script mm. in my life. So I would say that was probably and still continues to be one of the most transformative practices in my life. And you've said something to me before about reading is that we read not primarily for information, right. but encounter. Right. That we encounter the living God right. of this story, this divine story exactly. that we are a part of. Right. And his voice mm is a voice that continues to speak. Right. One of the ways to describe the Holy Spirit is breath. Right. Um, that is the breath of God right. actually speaking to us. Mm -hmm. um, and and to, be, to have a relationship with the divine being of the universe is an enthrallment for our souls that can be like a greater affection. And, and that's what the, the picture that is painted there is... What is this kind of a life going to do? For, for God? No. You one of the things I learned from this big story is that God doesn't need me. Mm. He didn't create me and this universe and all those other things because he had some despotic need or he was bored. for some <laughs> codependent people yeah, in our yeah. life. And he would then make them jump through all these hoops. Yeah. We're used to rulers like that, right? Despotic yeah. rulers of various countries. But he was a God with no needs at all. He created out of sheer pleasure mm -hmm. So that you and I could experience that joy and that pleasure. So he himself becomes that enduring motivation for that greater affection in our yeah. life. It is for me and not for him. Yeah. That gets drilled into me over and over yeah. and it keeps awakening longing and desire. It's one of the things that I loved in watching your life over the years was you're different than me in that you're a very disciplined person. Right. Right. Um, I can be disciplined on things for a while and then I let go of them for a while. Yeah. For you, if you come across a principle, you're like, Yep, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily how I was wired, yeah. but I think what I always saw in you was not this, oh, he has this life with God because he prays every day. Because yeah, exactly. It was, it was fueling your life with God. Yeah. Uh, we used to joke about you in, in uh, church when you'd worship. It was like they say when Jack Nicholas used to swing his golf club, he would swing like he was coming out of his shoes. Yeah. We, me and my friends would joke that when you were up there worshiping, it was like at some point you were just going to come right out of your shoes <laughs> up into the, you yeah. know, that there was this desire for God that was thrilling your yeah. life. Mm. And, you know, we talk about in our church that um, personal practices are faith catalysts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a sense that these, we don't do these things to earn favor with God. Like you said, because no. God needs us to do this. Why do we read scripture? Why do we sing? Why do we gather together? Even like this online and hopefully mm -hmm. eventually mm -hmm. and some of you uh, today in person. It is so that we can touch the divine life in God and God in us that we can, in a sense, come out of our shoes in delight. That's why we practice these things. And here's something else you need to realize about the Bible. If I thought that was helpful. Yeah. I realized that later on, that when God tells us how to relate to the Bible, mm -hmm. normally you and I think, oh, that's a, God's word is full of words. You know, mm -hmm. so we're just reading a lot of words for information. Well, it gets boring after a while. You know all the information, right? But how did God create? The opening, opening chapter of the Bible is that God spoke mm -hmm. and something came into being. Mm -hmm. And then as he continued speaking, 
that which was shapeless was given shape and that which was empty was filled so when i read the word mm -hmm. it's still that living word mm -hmm. that is creating in me what wasn't there that shapes what was shaped how often do we say oh, i'm bent out of shape mm -hmm. yes you are you and i are all bent out of shape but there's god's word reshaping mm -hmm. oh, i feel empty purpose come let me fill yeah. you so yeah. you're not dealing with concepts you're dealing with a living word that creates shapes yeah. and fill this transformative yeah and i think i like i look at those personal practices in your mm. life things like reading scripture mm. prayer mm. um sunday worship corporate worship yeah. like um being with others sabbath like a weekly day a weekly uh, mm. pause mm. one in seven to pause and delight in god and remember his presence remember his goodness to rest from your work all of those things and and if you've been a part of our our community here at the well you've heard us talk about this a lot uh, over the years it is so that the you are cultivating a greater affection for god that will become the greatest affection in your life that then puts all of our other desires yeah. many of which are legitimate desires but they put them in their right place and they don't they aren't able to actually dominate so i think that's a huge thing in realizing why we do this right. and how it actually works even in the area of temptation or you know a catastrophe that we would want to avoid that the more we are intimate with god in the presence of god it actually begins to become this ongoing thing that fuels so it's a reason to come back to those practices kind of right. over remember we talked about gk chesterton's famous course every man knocking on the door of a brothel is really looking for god yeah. at first sight you may say are you kidding that's blasphemous yeah. no it isn't yeah. because sexual desire in itself was created by god mm -hmm. there's nothing evil in that yeah. there's nothing evil in the pleasure that sex brings the problem is what cs lewis called confusing first things with second things mm. he said everything's have value and if you give the value that is appropriately belonging to something everything else comes into place so if god is first mm -hmm. then and sexual pleasure the pleasure of possessing through finances uh, the warmth that comes from someone encouraging you with good words they all take their proper place yeah. they don't become inordinate but if second things become first yeah. you lose both of them yeah. you lose god and you lose the pleasure yeah. which is why it becomes addictive yeah. and it becomes a cruel lord and master in your life and i think that's why for the people of god just as a, a 30 second comment on that as it relates to sexuality in a few weeks we're actually going to be talking about jesus sort of beautiful but upside down view of sex mm. in a culture that has said you know if you take this idea of first things and second things god is the transcendent and right. our, our mm. first thing when we say in a culture no he doesn't exist transcendence doesn't exist anymore there's no sort of supernatural thing it's all gone well sex becomes then the ultimate transcendence and the mm -hmm. orgasm becomes you know 30 right. seconds of heaven right that in a sense like uh, it's a second thing that has we've made it to become a first thing right. and all it can do is enslave us then, exactly. right and so that's i right. think for the people of god we say not that we're afraid to talk about sex or even enjoy sex in the context that god has given us but we say it was never meant to be a transcendent exactly. first thing yeah. god is first and he helps us understand and order and make sense of all of the other things um in life yeah and then the other thing that we talked about is the the practice of uh, confession mm. is so important because the other thing that god's word does is it shows you where you are bent out of shape and 
that has been very helpful as well because he puts a name on things that we try to rename it to something else. Mm. Oh, I made a mistake. I made an error. Mm. It was a shortcoming. Mm. God says, no, that came out of a twisted part of you. Yeah. You need to, but not to condemn. No, not to I condemn. want to make that, I want to reshape that. Exactly, you. I want to yeah. reshape it and I want to fill it. Yeah. You know? It's like when you name something, you've, you've preached that so well so often to mm. say, sin is not a bad word. It's a name that we give to what we all know is wrong in this world. Yeah. And once we name something, we get power. Over. Naming is power. Yeah. So when you call something what God calls it, yeah. you're actually moving massively towards reality and truth. Yeah. When you try to rename it into something else because it makes you feel better mm -hmm. about yourself, you're taking a massive step away from reality. And that is always moving towards insanity, not sanity. Yeah. And one of the Psalms that's a helpful one for me in confession, I think it's Psalm 36, where he says, you know, the fool or someone who doesn't understand where... Um, you know, is um, too, uh, they, they don't detect or hate or reject. their own sin. Right, exactly. And so it's this idea of saying, no, I don't want to be foolish. I need to be aware of things going on in the inner life. We talked about stuff that starts right. in the beginning, mm. narcissism and pride and, um, you know, uh, selfishness or unfilled desire or whatever, um, that as we acknowledge those things and let God name them, let Jesus say, it isn't just about the outward things. What's going on underneath? Right. You ever hated and, someone? And all these things start small, these big catastrophic failures that we want to avoid. Yeah. They are the result of a thousand small choices. Yeah. And it's much easier to say no yeah. way back at the beginning yeah. than right in the presence of something you shouldn't be doing. And, and to deal with it at the beginning. And that was the other thing I mentioned. Like Jesus, on the one hand, elevated sin in a sense of going, it isn't just behaviors, it's at the heart. Right. And yet, what did he do when we realized, oh my gosh, who's without sin? No one. That's why I have grace for you. Yeah. God, whereas yeah. instead of minimizing sin and not having any grace, Jesus invites us into this way of saying, no, you need to be honest about what's in your own heart, but there's enough grace for all that you find in there, in me. And it's interesting you mentioned the word grace because all these things, reading the scriptures, even with the metaphors that I've explained about connecting to the story, prayer as fueling a relationship, mm. they are ultimately at bottom line what the Bible called means of grace. Yeah. And grace we learned not too long ago was that how God gives us what we do not deserve. Yeah. So they're all giving, receiving modes. We start with grace, we continue with grace, and we finish with grace yeah, right good. to the very end. It's good. I want to pause here before we kind of wrap up the conversation and we're going to sing a song with the band. Um, it's just, the song is called Good, Good Father. And it is just a reminder. It's a perfect way to transition to that. This idea of grace mm. that we rely not on our goodness, but on who God is and what he is doing in our lives. And that intimacy with him is the greatest means of cleansing, purifying, and taking care of our own lives. And so you join us as the band leads us in that song. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender of love in the dead of night and you tell me you're still pleasing that I'm never alone you're a good good father do you
are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Well, we talked about how the, um, the vertical dimension in our lives with God is a means of grace, right? And transformation and change. But you also mentioned horizontally right. in relationships. How are the relationships or how have the relationships in your life um, been a means of grace, but also safeguards and people who have helped you along the way, in a sense, become the person you have longed to be mm -hmm. and stay away from the kind of life you would never want to sort of live. Right. How, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think uh, marriage is the, uh, mom is probably the biggest source of functioning that way. In fact, Walter Wangren calls our spouses mirrors of dangerous grace. They are dangerous because they reveal what you really like on the inside. Mm. When I say something or behave in a certain way or don't do something that brings a painful look to mom's face, mm -hmm. it's not because she's sensitive. It's because I have offended her. Yeah. It's actually a reflection of me. Mm. But they're also gracious because they're willing to acknowledge that and say, yes, honey, I'm sorry. The way I reacted showed where it was coming from. They can become means of grace. Mm -hmm. So in that way, all uh, of relationships every in our relationship, life yeah, can be every a relationship can become, yeah. if we were to look at it that way. That's yeah. why we all need some relationships in our life that can function as mirrors of dangerous grace. That's why a marriage is requires a permanent commitment because as soon as a spouse begins to function like a dangerous mirror, we want out. Yeah. We want to run from it. I remember you used to say, <laughs> You know, you, you thought you preached a good sermon until you got into bed that night yeah. and you heard the feedback from mom, yeah. you know. In fact, the joke was that if yeah. I didn't hear by 11 o'clock at night, yeah. something difficult was coming. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that yeah, hasn't changed, not, by the way. not throwing her under the bus. It's yeah. Just, yeah. No, but I think it's because mm. um, she loves you, right. respects you, right. admires you, and has been taught by you. And he said, is not afraid to say right. either interpersonally right. when you hurt her mm. or just as she observed you as a leader in the community you were in. Right saying, hey, you need to, like some of the listening stuff, I yeah. know that's what mom is so good at, is yeah. saying, okay, you need to learn how to do this, right. helping you with those things. So that's one of the relationships in your life yeah. that was a mirror that mm -hmm. loved you but was honest with you, yeah, but yeah. there were more. Yeah, I would say three particular friends that came to mind. <laughs> one was the most unlikely friendship from a man who uh, was actually saved right out of the drug culture. His mind was so fried on drugs that he could not complete one sentence in English at that time. Yet he came into this transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He immersed himself in this book that we talked about, the Bible. And in three years, his mind was so completely renewed. But the gift that God gave to him, and he's a pastor today, but the gift that God gave to him wasn't necessarily kind of the systematic teaching that I'm good at. He was prophetic. He would just speak powerfully into my life. He and I have known each other for over 30 years. They're two most unlikely friends that you mm -hmm. could ever imagine. I may not see him for a year, and the next time I get to him, if somebody were to peek into the door, I'll be sitting on this chair. He's towering over me, pointing his finger like this and talking to me. Yeah. A prophetic man. Yeah. And I can, recently I had to call him about something. I said, Miles, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. You tell me if I'm fooling myself or not. Yeah. I just told him that. I said, am I rationalizing? Yeah. Or, because it was a difficult thing for me to figure out. And well, he, I could trust him to speak truth into my life. And that's the beauty of that. Is this yeah. someone who, uh, he would say, obviously was a big help to him. Mm -hmm. You were a big help to him. Totally. In his... But then there's no like, 
oh, now I can't, I can't confront you with no. things like, if you really taught me well, yeah. I'm going to hold you accountable <laughs> to those things. It wouldn't work with them anyway. <laughs> no, exactly. But I think yeah. those, those, are, those are friendships are hard to find. Yeah. But I think there are moments, right? Yeah. So the first time somebody in a friendship confronts mm. you about something, yeah. you have a choice to listen politely and then either actively dismiss them or slowly pull away or something in you says, this is a courageous person and I need this friendship in my life yeah. to lean into it. Totally. So the <laughs> other kind of friend that I had was also transformative, but the exact opposite of this young mm. man. Again, still very unlikely mm. because this is my good dear friend, Mike Wilkins, who passed away a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, he's six foot two inch white blonde guy, blue eyed. Mm. I'm the exact opposite. He runs marathons. I hate running. <laughs> he's a poet. I don't know anything about poetry. And yet the thing that bound us together, C.S. Lewis would often say, friends have to have something to be friends about. Mm -hmm. The defining sentence of friendship is what you two. And I remember the day clear as a bell when he and I were sitting down at a dinner table after uh, at a pastor's conference. And he and I got into a long conversation about how God makes men and women holy. And we both realized that we were together on this. Mm. And that's how the friendship started. Mm. Now his was a clear theological mind, but distilled through a poet, a pastor, uh, a different kind of theologian. And he and I could talk very openly. In fact, when some of these scandals happened a long time ago, well, I think when the Jim Baker scandal happened, the next time we got together, we said, Mike, how well do you think you and I would do alone with Jessica Hahn in a hotel room? Yeah. And we both came to the conclusion we wouldn't do very well. Yeah. And so we said, you and I are going to make a bond with each other. We were also alarmed and how people who had, say, fallen in this area, not that forgiveness wasn't available for them, but people were rushing to have them come back to speak. Mm -hmm. Almost as if to say, okay, now I can handle you because you're just like me. We made a commitment to each other. If everyone, either one of us ever were unfaithful, mm. that the other one would not let us get back into ministry, mm. but would do what was called the ministry of the interior, quietly praying quietly ministering to whoever God brings. So he yeah. was that kind of a friend. Yeah. And a third friend I had was not formal at all. He actually was a very skilled person in the business world mm -hmm. who from his own background, God used to develop a calling to hold Christian leaders accountable. Mm. Do you know one day he told me, Sundar, for three nights I couldn't sleep because in a sermon I heard you say something that didn't fit with the person I knew you to be. Wow. And he came back through the day. He yeah. said, I finally figured out and I was able to go to sleep. Yeah. That, uh, I turned out good in that case. <laughs> On another occasion, he came to me and said, hey, the way you spoke to that person, that was harsh. Yeah. But he would put his arm around me immediately after that and be willing to yeah. weep with me. Yeah. Those three people, so good. my wife and my, those three friends yeah. were probably the four biggest influences. And I just think, you know, just as an encouragement to all of us, like we, we need that in our lives. We need to be that for each other, but we need to accept it for each other and we yeah. need to seek it out. Acceptance is so important. Yeah. And I think if I know that I'm flawed and deeply capable of, like, you know, this is the Christian story. We are capable of the most beautiful acts mm -hmm. of grace and goodness um, and love, and we are capable of the most catastrophic, destructive things. This is who we are as human beings. Alexander Solzhenitsyn right, said the, the line between good and evil does not run through you know, borders or political parties, but through every human heart. And C.S. Lewis <laughs> used to say this, the higher, the lower. Ultimately, therefore, the more divine, the more demonic in its potential. Right. And yeah. he said every human being yeah. is an angel and a demon yeah, at the exactly. same time, you know, becoming yeah. one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so he said we're no ordinary beings, right, yeah. Lewis said. So I think just to recognize, okay, if I know that about myself, then I will be actually not surprised when someone comes and says to me, you screwed up. Yeah. 
but in, in love saying, but I'm with you. And I think this is so important. This is why long-term relationships in community are so essential. Absolutely. Because we can leave and move on and people don't know us or we don't allow ourselves or we don't invest actually in enough in people's lives to say, to even think about the church, the family of God as a place do I like it here? Do I like the preaching? Do I like the music? You know, is there a good kids program for my kids? God, do you have a role to me to play of love and friendship in the lives of people here? I'm called to this community to be those kinds of people and to seek out those kind of friendships. And I think the other thing, just in closing to mention that I appreciate you mentioned to me, even as a, as a pastor, you know, as a senior pastor, you're accountable to your board of elders. There were a few, you, you told me this a decade ago, maybe more. There were a few elders on your board who in addition to sort of being carrying out the role of elder, their, one of their jobs was to watch you and to pay attention to anything they thought was concerning yeah, no question in your it. personal life, in your public life, whatever. And they had the right and the obligation actually to call you on mm -hmm. it. And that's beautiful because that's, you know, that I think is just actively saying, how can I give people active permission? So some of you may know people in your life that you feel like are, are mm -hmm. good at doing this, but you may not be saying, you know what, I think I need that. How um, can I seek it out? And so just in closing, I think uh, I want to, you know, um, just encourage you as you even see your life in this community at the well. And maybe you're someone who's a, who's a part, you know, you'd say I'm part of the family here, I'm, I'm in. Others of you are just getting to know our family uh, through uh, your online services or you've been sort of maybe on the periphery and you, it's been a good place for you. Just to see even the things we've talked about here as personal practices in your life of scripture and prayer and worship coming together as means of cultivating this dynamic, life-giving, life-changing relationship with God. But then also that the community of faith is meant to also be a dynamic, life-giving, life-changing community that we have a commitment to one another. And so all of the things that we encourage you to do, whether it's the daily readings online or coming to prayer meetings or coming to worship or being in a part of a home group, uh, so that... You mm. can grow and that you're not meant to have to say, I have to make sure that in my life, I never have a screw up no. or whatever. Yes, your life is your responsibility, but you're not meant to achieve that alone. No, exactly. so we have the great yeah. gift to give one another to do this. And I think you could say this after how many years, and I could say this as a few less, I would be nowhere without the grace of God and the community of faith. Uh, absolutely. It saved, totally. has saved my life, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So anyway, I just want to thank you for... Mm. Just the life mm. that you've lived. Mm. And I want to encourage you to finish well. <laughs> yeah. Please keep me honest. Yeah. And you do. You do. Yeah. You should know. You should know that I go to my son regularly for input on things that he knows so much more about than I do. He's more passionate about than I am. He's more committed than I am. And so now we've come full circle and he teaches me. And I get to sit under his teaching. And not only his teaching, but under his counsel on a regular basis, you know. Yeah. Mm. So a few months from now, we'll hug it out when we're allowed to do that. <laughs> but otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, uh, God, God bless. Yeah.